Good afternoon, everyone. It is about 12.45 here in the afternoon, Northern California. Welcome to Analyze and Educate News Roundup, episode 19. This is, of course, going from the 20th of September to the 26th. Sorry I'm getting this out late again. You know, I've got a lot going on with this uh, personal stuff, school. Um, I want to get to a point where we could get back to a normal schedule, but I can't guarantee that right now. So until that happens... I'll try and get these out to you guys as soon as I can, but um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see. Before we get started, this is sponsored by Mission Essential Gear, your one-stop combat shop. Home of the Thules, the tactical handbook for unit leaders, available at megearco.com and Amazon as well. And of course, we have a blog up there at megearco.com as well. It's been a minute since I put an article out up there. I'm hoping to get one out next week but we'll see with uh, everything going on also check out the freelancers which is a media and research collective dedicated to covering modern conflicts with a soft focus on foreign fighters you could find them on twitter at cbt freelancers instagram at freelancers blog and their website at freelancersconflictblog.wordpress.com Also, before we get started, check out Fortress International, which is a veteran-owned research and analysis firm, excuse me, based near Washington, D.C. You can find them on Twitter and Instagram at Fortress underscore INT and their website at FortressLLC.org. They just put out an article that I wrote yesterday on the current fighting that's going on between Armenia and Azerbaijan. If you want to be informed on that, get it sort of an idea what's going on, go ahead and check that out on their website. Again, that's FortressLLC.org. And let me know what you think. I appreciate any feedback you guys give me. And lastly, with that being said, I am not going to cover that fighting on this podcast because, of course... Uh, That fighting started on Sunday the 27th, so that's out of the scope of this podcast. Um, That will be a big focus next week. I mean, I may even just do a separate podcast solely based on that fighting, see how much time I have uh, next week to get that going. But um, yeah, just know that that will be a big focus either way with next week's podcast. And with that being said, we'll get started. All right, so we're going to roll right into the COVID-19 numbers and news for the week. The week began with 30 million cases, 956,000 deaths, and 21 million recoveries. The week ended with 32 million cases, 995,000 deaths, and 22 million recoveries. At this point, there are four countries with over a million cases, the U.S., India, Brazil, and Russia in that order. There are also 30 countries with less than 1,000 cases. Uh, I think the same statistics we had last week, so that those numbers haven't really changed that much. There are 16 confirmed cases of reinfection across the globe. 14 of them have already recovered so far. Uh, for the United States, we have three of those cases. India has six. Ecuador has one. The Netherlands have four. Hong Kong has one, and Belgium has one as well. On the 21st, the U.S. CDC accidentally posted new virus information on its website regarding how the virus spreads. The information stated that airborne spread was possible even past six feet. The post was quickly removed as the information was supposedly 
inaccurate. On the 23rd, the company Johnson & Johnson's potential vaccine entered a Phase 3 clinical trial, the fourth candidate backed by Operation Warp Speed to do so. The trial will enroll up to 60,000 volunteers and take place in 215 locations in the U.S. and abroad. The other companies in Phase 3 trials are Moderna, uh, Pfizer, and AstraZeneca. And on the 25th, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced a deal to buy 20 million doses of AstraZeneca's vaccine, of course, uh, dependent on if it passes these phase three trials, though, but it's expected to do so. And we'll move on to Europe. In Bulgaria, on the 21st, a court in Bulgaria sentenced a Lebanese-Australian man and a Lebanese-Canadian man to life in prison for their roles in a 2012 suicide bombing in the city Burgas that killed five Israeli tourists and the Bulgarian bus driver. Meliad, Farah, and Hassan El-Hajj were sentenced in absentia as they are currently in hiding. Interpol is actively searching for them at this time. On July 18, 2012, Mohammed Hassan al Husseini, a French Lebanese national, detonated a bomb inside his backpack on the bus, killing himself and, of course, six others. The attack was attributed to Lebanese Hezbollah, which led the European Union to declare it a terrorist organization. In Russia, on the 22nd, specialized units of the FSB, the Russian Federal Security Services, along with local law enforcement, arrested a cult leader that goes by the name Vissarion, who claims to be the reincarnation of Jesus Christ. Sergei Tarop, which is his given name, is a former traffic cop who claims he had a, quote, spiritual awakening in 1990 and founded the Church of the Last Testament. His claims that the end of the world is near and only his followers, which number in the thousands, will survive. Several hamlets belonging to his cult were raided in, give me a second here, Krasnoyorsk Krai, and two of his aides were arrested as well. He will be charged with organizing an illegal religious organization and extortion. In France, on the 25th, in Paris, two were wounded in a knife attack outside the former headquarters of the French satirical magazine Charlie Hebdo. The attack was motivated by Islamic extremism, according to the Interior Minister of France, and the perpetrator was taken into custody along with six others that are attributed to the plot. This comes after the magazine reprinted its controversial cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad. Charlie Hebdo is most recognized for an attack on its headquarters in 2015 by three gunmen that led to the deaths of 12 people. The three gunmen were later killed by police, and Al-Qaeda claimed responsibility for that attack. The reason given for the attack was the original cartoon printings of Mohammed. And in Ukraine, on the 25th, Ukrainian military AN-26 transport plane crashed in Kharkiv Oblast. The plane was carrying 20 cadets from the Kharkiv Air Force University, and only one person aboard that plane survived the crash with injuries. The other 26 people, including six officers, were killed. It's not exactly known why the crash happened, but according to the government, it did happen about five minutes after the pilot requested to land due to the left engine failing. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky declared a national day of mourning and an investigation has been launched.
and we'll move on to Africa in the Democratic Republic of Congo on the 20th. Militants of the Allied Democratic Forces, ADF, killed 10 civilians in the town of Mabao. According to the Kavu Security Tracker, a joint project between Human Rights Watch and the Congo Research Group, the ADF has killed at least 580 people since November 2019. And if you listen to recent podcasts we've done, you should recognize the ADF because they do this thing all the time, as you can see. In Nigeria, on the 25th, in the state of Borno, 15 security forces personnel were killed by a Boko Haram ambush on their convoy. Eight policemen, three soldiers, and four persons with the Civilian Joint Task Force are among the dead. Their convoy was ambushed on the way to assist local officials that were preparing to receive hundreds of internally displaced persons at a nearby village. In Mali, Ba Nada, a former Malian Air Force colonel and minister of defense, was named as the nation's interim president by the National Committee for the Salvation of the People. The committee is the group responsible for last month's military coup that ousted former President Kaita. The committee's leader, Colonel Asimi Goita, was named as the vice president. Their government was inaugurated on the 25th and will oversee an 18-month transition period, which will end with democratic elections, at least in theory. And in Libya, Field Marshal Khalifa Haftar's Libyan National Army claimed they killed Abu Moz al-Raqi, the leader of ISIS in Libya, in the eastern city of Sebha. According to a spokesperson with the LNA, al-Iraqi entered the country in 2014 to join the group and became its leader in 2015 when his predecessor was killed. He was killed in a raid along with nine other militants, but not identified until later. ISIS in Libya was formed in late 2014 as three branches, Fazan Province, Saranaika Province, and Tripolitana Province. The group was at the height of its power in 2016 when it was forced out of its local capital of Sirte, which is also the birthplace of Muammar Gaddafi, by the Government of National Accord with combat support from the U.S., U.K., and Italy. And we will take a quick break and we'll be back with the Middle East. All right, and we're back with the Middle East in Israel on the 20th. Honduran President Juan Orlando Hernandez informed Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu in a phone call of his plans to move the country's embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem by the end of the year. This could potentially make Honduras the third country in the world after the U.S. and Guatemala to move their embassy to the disputed capital of Jerusalem. I say disputed because Israel claims that is their capital. However, uh, Palestinians claim that city is their territory as well. Most of the world recognizes Tel Aviv as Israel's capital, even though Israel itself does not recognize that as its capital. So this could be a big move for uh, Honduras. Other countries that have pledged to move their embassies include Brazil, Hungary, Moldova, Romania, and Serbia and Kosovo. On the 22nd, the Palestinian National Authority resigned its chairmanship of the Council of the Arab League after the group's failure to condemn Bahrain and the UAE for signing normalization deals with Israel. 
Palestinian Foreign Minister Riyad al-Maliki referred to the deals as a betrayal and said they created a, quote, deep crisis for the Arab League. In Bahrain on the 20th, Bahrain's interior ministry stopped a terror plot planned by a group with substantial support from Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, IRGC. The goal of this plot was to destroy public and security facilities with explosives and assassinate government officials. Additionally, an explosive device was found that was meant for a foreign delegation visiting the nation. Several militants were arrested and homes were raided by security forces. Eighteen people have been accused of being involved in the plot, nine of which are currently in Iran. Officials believe the attacks could be serving as revenge for the U.S. killing of Quds Force Commander Major General Qasem Soleimani at the beginning of this year. Additionally, Bahrain is home to the U.S. Navy's 5th Fleet, which is tasked with patrolling the waters of the Middle East. This also comes a week after Bahrain signed a normalization deal with Israel, a move which surely angered Iran. On the 21st, the U.S. Embassy in Bahrain warned Americans in the country of the need for caution after the plot was uncovered. Americans should review their personal security plans, remain aware of their surroundings, and maintain a high level of vigilance. In Iran, on the 21st, after the U.S. placed more sanctions on the country, the country's foreign minister, Mohammad Javad Zarif, stated that Iran is ready for a full prisoner exchange with the U.S., the two countries held two prisoner exchanges in 2018 after the U.S. pulled out of the 2015 Iran nuclear deal. The U.S. has long called for Iran to release prison political prisoners, excuse me, Americans in particular. Iran has accused the U.S. of imprisoning Iranians for refusing to, quote, betray their country uh, when speaking about violating sanctions. In Afghanistan on the 22nd, clashes between security forces and the Taliban kill at least 29 members of the Afghan security forces across the country. Clashes took place in Balkh, Kandahar, Takar, and Kapisa provinces. This comes amid peace negotiations between the two groups. On the 24th, in the Dariyim district, Badakhshan province suspected Taliban militants ambushed and killed a family of five, including two children. An investigation has been launched into that attack. In Asia, in Korea on the 23rd, South Korea accused the North of executing and cremating an official with the South's fisheries ministry that recently went missing. The official went missing during a maritime patrol near the northern limit line on the 21st and crossed into northern territory by the next afternoon. According to the South's defense ministry, once the official entered northern territory, a Navy patrol boat was dispatched, at which point officers in protective suits with gas masks boarded the vessel and shot the official. They then burned his body. The South believes this is likely due to the North's harsh measures taken to stop the coronavirus from entering the country. It's not clear how exactly the official ended up in the North, but some government officials claim that he attempted to defect without elaborating on the claim. And on the 25th, Kim Jong-un issued an apology to the South over, an, over the outcome of the incident. Any sort of apology coming from a North Korean leader is extremely, extremely rare and is likely an attempt to ease tensions with the South. And we'll finish it off here with the Americas. The United States, on the 21st, 
An officer with the New York Police Department was charged by federal prosecutors with acting as an agent for a foreign government and lying to obtain asylum in the U.S. Bear with me here. Badmajah, but Officer Ang Wang, 33 years old, is a Chinese-American immigrant of Tibetan ethnic background. In addition to being a police officer, he also serves in the U.S. Army Reserves as a civil affairs specialist and served in the Marines prior to that. Ang Wang is accused of spying for the Chinese government and reporting on New York's Tibetan community since at least 2014. He more specifically referred to China to potential intelligence sources within the Tibetan community. Tibet, which was then a sovereign nation, was occupied and annexed by the People's Republic of China in 1951. Ever since then, China has been accused of killing thousands of Tibetans and attempting to suppress their culture. Ang Wang is even claimed to have been tortured by Chinese authorities on account of his ethnicity in his asylum application. Ang Wang also lied about his connections in contact with members of the PRC's government and family members that served in the People's Liberation Army, PLA. This includes lying about his father and brother who serve or have served in the PLA and his mother who does hold the government position. Additionally, both his parents are members of the Chinese Communist Party. He could face up to 55 years in prison if convicted. And on the 22nd, two active duty Marines from Camp Pendleton, California, were arrested and charged with being part of a drug trafficking ring that's linked to the death of another Marine. One of the Marines, along with three civilians, has been charged with conspiracy to distribute narcotics, including oxycodone pills laced with fentanyl. The other Marine was charged with being an accessory after the fact. The conspiracy lasted from November 2019 until this month. Gustavo Hassal Solis is allegedly who distributes the drugs to civilians and military members. He sold 10 oxycodone pills to an active duty Marine who later overdosed and died after taking them. Anthony Rubin Wisenant, a 20-year-old Lance Corporal, distributed the drugs to servicemen. Ryan Douglas White, a 22-year-old Lance Corporal, attempted to hinder law enforcement's arrests of the ring's members. Jordan Nicholas McCormick, 26 years old from Palmdale, is the drug ring's alleged supplier. And Sarah Jessica Perez, 23 years old of Pacoma, allegedly sold the drugs to the ring's civilian customers. The group made multiple sales to undercover buyers. And we uh, will keep an eye on how that goes. But with that being said, that's all I got for you guys this week. If you want to find us on Twitter and Instagram, we're at Analyze Educate. You could follow us for, uh, you know, breaking news as it comes out during the week. Like I said, wasn't able to cover the fighting between Armenia and Azerbaijan, considering this is the podcast for last week's news. But that will uh, be a heavy focus in next week's podcast for sure. If you want to kind of get caught up on what's going on there, you could check out my article at Fortress International. Um, kind of goes into the origins of the conflict and explores the Armenian perspective, if you will. That fighting is still ongoing, so some of that information is already outdated, especially when it comes to casualty numbers, all that stuff. Long story short, the fighting really shows no signs of slowing down, so this could be um, this could be a big focal point in our podcast for a while. 
But with all that being said, we'll see you guys next week.